Okay, good morning. It's great to hear what uh, what we're talking about there as we start. We see the Lord just in action all the time. Sometimes we don't hear about it, we don't see it. But I'll tell you what, God has got His people and His plan is coming through just the way that He wants to do it. He is sovereign. Amen, right? We are people who are interested in current events. We should be. We should be interested in things that are going on in the world. We are ambassadors to this world. Our citizenship, even though we have citizenship here in this nation, our true citizenship is in heaven. That's our ultimate citizenship. But we're ambassadors here. We are like strangers. We are like aliens. And really, uh, ambassadors have mission. They have a mission. They have a message. We have a message. And we don't want to lose our main message. We have our interest. I'm not saying that that's wrong. We should be interested as citizens here. We're responsible too as citizens. But actually, our message is about forgiveness of sins. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. That's our message. Our message is not social justice. Even though we should know what true social justice is, and we should be able to tell what it is to people who don't know, our message is not ultimately about education. We should be interested in about it. We should have a good worldview on it coming from biblical angles. Uh, Our message is not about the economy. Our message is not about politics. Don't lose interest in it because we can make an impact in all of those. We should be interested. But ultimately, it's really about Christ, about repentance, forgiveness of sins. That's our message. That's our good news. As ambassadors, we have great news. So in verses 44 to 49, near the end of Luke, we're at the end of Luke, and if you go all the way to the rest of the book and go back to the beginning of God revealing who He is, all the way to from Genesis through the history of the redemption story, It looks kind of like a mural of salvation from start to finish. That's what God is showing. This is a sweeping conclusion crafted by Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as He's doing that, we need to appreciate the richness that is in this Gospel of Luke as he crafted this. It's not a book that is has an end in a way, even though it is coming to that very last verse of Luke. We won't finish today. We are getting close to that section where Luke stops Luke. But you must remember, church history goes on. And you see it biblically in the book of Acts. The one who wrote Luke also wrote wrote. And we see that being carried out. So it really doesn't come to an end, does it, as we will be finishing Luke. His version is really the Great Commission as it's stated often 
by uh, many commentators. Uh, Matthew 28 has that also. And the message Jesus says is that you are to preach from now on is a message that calls men to repent and be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ, trusting in Him. That's the message. That's the mission. And so, because we belong to God, you belong to Christ, and you stand, as it were, kind of in the shadow of the apostles and all the disciples that followed up after them, they received this command to go to the world with a message of repentance that's passed on from generation to generation. For 2,000 years, that message has been carried. They passed the baton to each generation. We have the baton that is now passed to us. That's what we have. And we will pass it on to the next generation. And so, it's ours. It's ours right now. We have the message. And you think about it, you can say, what a privilege. What a responsibility. We're all responsible for this. The church is composed of people that are missionaries. I'm not talking about professional missionaries. I'm talking about everyone who is a believer is a missionary. Right where you're at, you're a missionary. So often we get confused with that word. Or we get confused with the word of evangelism. And All throughout my years being a Southern Baptist, that's basically what I would hear every week. That's all you would hear. The evangelistic message. Without any depth, without anything that really I needed to grow on. But I will say that the world is really an alien culture to us. That's why we're so offended, in a sense, because it is against God's righteousness. And the culture is going to be always opposite. Don't be surprised when they do what they do. I know it's extreme. It's the most extreme thing that they have done in our lifetime. But you look throughout Scripture, and of course we've been studying Judges on our Tuesday night Bible study, and I will tell you that it really was no different then than it is now. It was extreme. God used extreme measures to deliver His people though. And He will do it. No matter if the people are obedient or not obedient, His plan is going to come through. Hey, is this good news? God is in control. We are in a foreign land. We are citizens of heaven representing the God of the universe. And we're left here even though we stumble in our worship, we stumble in our prayer, and we stumble in our effort at holiness and all the rest. But you know, one thing that we will never do in heaven in the final state is that we will never evangelize the lost there. And we get to do that here. It just means whoever you run into, if God is leading you or sets up a situation, it means just to tell them this news that they need to repent because God is a holy God and they repent Then the good news comes, it's forgiveness of sins. They are no longer held accountable before a just holy God. We are all missionaries. 
Get that in your head. That's what we are. We're missionaries. Our mission is a mandate. You hear that term today, you know, a mandate. It's a mandate for you must do this. You must do that. Well, this is a mandate that is something just is should be automatic. Share who Christ is. And the implications that are laid upon us are to be learned and to be remembered. So the book of Luke begins with the promise that the one who comes will be the Son of God and He will provide salvation. Repentance, forgiveness of sins. By His grace. The book promised that it's delivered when we get to chapter 24. It's the same thing as what was introduced in the front of this Gospel of Luke. And so here we are. Son of God is to suffer, to die, to be buried, to rise again on the third day, provide forgiveness of sins in His name. The book ends having proven what it promised at the beginning. It was a promise, it's proven. Promised, proven. That's exactly what Luke does in all of Revelation, which is the Word of God. Let's uh, stand, let's read this section. Let's read uh, God's blessed, holy, sanctified Word. But what, this is what He said. This is what Jesus said, whether it's Jesus saying it in the red letters or whether it's God speaking through other ways. This is His message to us. We can't get a better message when it comes from God because you know what? We can believe it and know it's absolutely true. Here we go. Now, He said to them, These are My words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of My Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Lord, You've given us the Scriptures. We have the passage. We've read it. You've spoken to us. You continue to speak through Your Spirit. Lord, open our minds to receive more from You, to understand Your very Word even more than we've known before. May we walk out of here refreshing today. Oh, thank You so much for Your great grace. In Jesus' name, Your Son, Amen. Amen. So we go to the text. 
and the Lord opens up their understanding. I love that, don't you? The Lord opens up their understanding. Nobody can understand the things of God. Nobody. Unless God opens up their minds and their hearts. We are dead in our sins and transgressions. We have to be opened up by Him. So the first thing that catches my attention here is that there's nothing new here. This looks familiar. As a matter of fact, it's kind of been the message throughout Luke, actually. Um, it's about what has happened to the Lord Jesus or concerning what was to take place in and through the disciples. So, all of it has been prophesied in the Scriptures. It's all been there. It was told beforehand. It's called pre-written history. History is usually something that is written about in the past. This is written before when you look at the Old Testament and search those out and find out this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came to earth. And basically there are three things. I think on the outline I have like, I don't know, five five things. I could have put it in three. Probably should have been more simple. It doesn't matter. However you break it down, it's what we understand here. Number one, it's the rejection, the suffering, the death, the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. Number two is that there is the proclamation of that gospel, of that good news about Christ. They were eyewitnesses. They were to proclaim it. And number three is the promise of the Holy Spirit that would empower people to believe that Word of God. So that's basically what we're going after here today. I don't know how far we'll get. I really don't know if we'll finish through 49 as I think about it, as I got through here, I go, I think I chewed a little bit more than what I really could swallow. The apostles had shown a severe lack of understanding. They didn't understand the aspect of the resurrection and they still couldn't believe it. Even when they saw Jesus, they were still unbelieving. And that's what we covered last week. They'd been face to face with Him. He made the message simple concise, clear, straightforward to these guys, yet they need to understand something at the very end whenever Jesus said this. It was that Christianity is not a disruption of Judaism and what they grew up in their religion. It is that it's a continuity it continues all throughout. This is what was already said before. There's nothing new. It had already been promised about the Messiah and this whole great redemptive plan of God. And Judaism without Christ is a false religion. So, Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We as Christians, we look back at that. We take this for granted. That's why we pray, Lord, open our eyes here a little bit more because we just see the very thin layer up at the top here. We say, well, I've heard this all my life. Yeah, we have and we hear it again because we kind of forget it. We forget about it. We need to be reminded and we've spent, like last week, talking basically about the same thing. And then the week before, the Emmaus disciples, it was the same thing where he opened up the Old Testament scriptures to them. So they had a, an understanding, but it was very, it was partial. A partial understanding. They don't, they're not clear on this. They're not ready to go out and go into all the world and preach the gospel yet. They're not even 
ready. They will be very soon. Um, they knew about the Messiah. They knew about the glory. They knew about the kingdom. They got a lot to learn though, don't they? So do we. So he starts off, and I said to them, These are my words, and what I spoke to you while I was still with you, it's not new, that all things which are written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So the law, the prophets, and the Psalms fulfilled. Law, Psalms, prophets. Uh, quite frequently you'll see that Jesus will say the law and the prophets. You'll see that together. And that means the old whole testament. This time it's the law, the prophets, the Psalms. Still the same thing. Divided up into three major divisions here, the Old Testament is. And it's all bearing witness to the suffering, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. It's all bearing witness of that. And so in the law of Moses, they looked ahead to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like today, we look ahead to the coming. That's the second coming of Christ. We look to that, don't we? And in these times, we keep saying, it could be any time. Could be close. We could be in that time. Whatever. It's great to know He's coming back. We're not wrong on that. So, twice now, in this chapter, Luke's Gospel... Jesus has made reference to the prophecies of the Old Testament referring to His rejection and suffering and death and resurrection. And you remember the Emmaus disciples as they walked alongside Him. He didn't show who, they were, who He was to them, but He spoke the Word of God and going through the Old Testament passages and then He opened it up for them to see what that really meant. Because they couldn't understand why He was dead. Dead. He was going to be the king of the kingdom. This is the Messiah. So, there we have it. You can say, well, wonder what those passages were that Jesus talked about. Well, it didn't show it there with the Emmaus disciples, but we went through several. Some of those probably could very well have been the very ones He talked about. There are so many. They did have a few hours, didn't they? They had seven miles to walk, and then they were at the house. So He... he probably talked nothing except the Word of God. (laughs) The Scriptures, how could He not? But He gave them the proof that the Messiah would have to do those things. And so they're not enumerated even in this text today. Luke doesn't do that. And you say, why? Luke, why didn't you go ahead and enumerate those? Why didn't you just give us some at least that we could have picked out? Well, why would He not do it? Why would the Holy Spirit not put that forth? Well, like I said earlier, Luke wrote Luke, and Luke wrote Acts. And if you look in Luke, Acts 2, you will see Peter preaching the sermon that, what, thousands were saved? Three thousand? Thousands, as the days went on, thousands, tens of thousands. Same message. And he referred to the Psalms. And he referred to Joel, Second Samuel, and that. That's what Peter did. So it could be that Luke did put that whole that message together there. 
Secondly, it could be that God says, I don't want you to have those specifically right there because what I want you to do is what? Dig for them yourself. You search them out. They're there. Well, the disciples should have known those passages, shouldn't they have? About His death? It was clear. It was as clear as could be, and yet it was like mud to everybody. God really had it there, but God at the same time withheld it from them. I say that very carefully because they're held responsible for what they know. Matter of fact, they were even rebuked a little bit. It says in Mark in in his last chapter on the account of Jesus appearing before them and He rebuked them. Mark 16, 14. So, you know... uh, he didn't give a, a concordance, a little, maybe a little thing on the side showing us where those passages were at. But today, in our times, we have no excuse whatsoever. <laughs> because we have the concordances, we have the commentaries, we have the dictionaries, we have computers, we go dot, dot, like that, and boom, it's just, you know, you can get one after another, after another, after another. We have no excuse today, do we? We know what a lot of those probably were. Search out the text for yourself, right? Read the Bible yourself. Don't count on the pastor to give you everything. We're here just to uh, bring us all together, to study together and see what God has for us in that text. But you discover every day. That's what He wants you to do. So he says they must be fulfilled. The prophecies will come true. Do you know of any prophecies that was said in the Old Testament that did not come true about Jesus' first coming? They all came true. Every one of them. And we could say, well, we're biased. Well, I challenge anyone who is not a believer to go through there and check them out for themselves. Test them out. Go through them all. God still has to open up their hearts, though. Must be fulfilled. I love the sovereignty of God, and every time I get a chance to talk about it, I'm going to do it. It's like, look, everything that is happening, this is what Jesus is saying, everything that has happened, that is happening, I told you. I told you so. You see, I've been telling you, I've been repeating it again and again and again. And again, you still don't have it all. That's really what he's saying. These are words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me. And so, he says, look, look, I've already told you. And it must be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled. If God says He's going to do something, He always does. His promises are perfect. They are all kept. Not one lie. God's sovereign purpose. I love it. Uh, What would be some of those? And as we go through this today, we'll probably go to other passages without having to turn right now. Uh, We could do, usually in Bible study, we usually will go through a lot more passages and we'll have, sometimes you could deal with a hundred of them, and we could, more than that. But we would be here all day. And that would be just fine with me. Matter of fact, I'd love it. 
Wouldn't it be great if we just all sit around after this hour and we just, hey, what about this? Or, hey, look at this. This is what I learned. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that after church? But I know we have lunch to attend to and other stuff. But, hey, some days it would be a good thing to do. Or what about what what all is going on today? What is this all about? Well, we could go that, that route too. But here are some of the things that Jesus had told them. If you were to go back to the time of Abraham, for instance, matter of fact, go back to Genesis 3 and you have a proto. Pro means like first. Evangelium is good news. It's really the first good news. It's where it's about Jesus or the Messiah and Satan. Jesus will crush Satan's head. Jesus will look, get a little bitty tiny bruise on his heel. Right? That's that's the idea. But it's it's about here's how sin has done to you now, Adam and Eve. But here's what's going to happen. There is going to be deliverance. What good news, man? What would you have had if you just you know all you're going to have is a curse, and you're going to have to work hard and by the sweat of your brow, you know, and just all of that. And of course, women delivering and childbirth is going to be painful and just. Oh, bad news. Weeds coming out. Just just think of it. You know, all the hurricanes. Just go on and on and on. Every day is a reminder of what happened at the fall, isn't it? Everything that I go... Every day, there's probably not a day that doesn't go by that I... You know, as I see something, that's a reminder of the fall of man. And you know what I do? Adam and Eve, I'll tell you what. You guys, you messed it all up. I say that in fun because so did we. We prove it by our actions, but that is our nature. We inherited that. So, we advance up to Genesis 12. You have a guy by the name of Abraham who God chooses to be the father of the Jewish race. And He gives a promise in Genesis 12 and uh, also in Genesis, in dealing with Abraham, uh, you have uh, the seed. Uh, the seed of promise. And that is... Christ. And in Genesis 49, you have dealing with, you have Abraham, and then you have Isaac, then you have Jacob or Israel. So, Jesus is the Messiah, and what the Bible does is just open up a little bit more to time. He reveals this. He reveals more, reveals more. Of course, we have covenants and such that are all throughout there that build upon it. But he's going to be not only from Israel, he's going to be from a tribe that's in Israel. It's specifically named, it's Judah. Later on you see that in 2 Samuel, God makes a covenant with David. It's the Davidic covenant. And in 2 Samuel 7, we see that he's going to be a descendant of David. David is from the tribe of Judah. And now Jesus, or the Messiah, is going to be from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David and from the Davidic line. David was a picture of the king of kings. And we go to Isaiah. We talk about the prophets. Isaiah 7.14 where it speaks about the virgin. The virgin birth. In Isaiah 7.14, you go to Micah chapter 5, uh, verse 2, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. 
all of this is dealing with the person of Christ and his works and uh, what you you got the law of Moses which is the first five books we looked at some prophets there like Isaiah and Micah Zechariah says he'll be pierced through for our transgressions or, or in Isaiah 53 it says that and also in Zechariah they will see him, look upon him whom they pierced and in Psalm 22 you get the very details of what would happen at his suffering at the cross minute details. That's incredible. All of these are about the Messiah. These are some of the things that Jesus could have used. He could have used Psalm 22. Isaiah 53. Oh, we have to turn there. I know we've turned there in, in, in weeks past and we can't help but do that. You know, dealing with the death of Christ and such. The death of Christ was important. It was planned by God. Ultimately, that's really what it's all about. If He doesn't die, we don't get our sins forgiven. We're left in our sins. Isaiah 53, uh, let's pick it up at uh, verse 4. Uh, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. God ultimately is the one who afflicted him, but he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chasing for our well-being for it fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He took it all. We explained this when we did the message of the cross and his death. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. Are these specific prophecies? What would you do if you were talking with a Jewish person and they believed in the Old Testament scriptures? I go right here, Isaiah 53. They, if they are in tune to their own Jewish beliefs now, they changed it to what they used to believe as the Messiah. Before the Messiah came, they turned it to, well, that's Israel itself, that's our nation, or some other crazy excuses, but they can't ignore it. It's all before him. Like a sheep that is silent before it shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave as his burial was assigned with wicked men. He died with wicked men. He should have been thrown on the ash heap and yet he was with a rich man in his death. He saw that because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He's buried in a rich man's tomb, right? But the Lord was pleased. The Father was really excitedly pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. This is the only way that we could get righteousness of Christ and our sin taken off of us. The Father is pleased to do this because this is His perfect plan. What man would have ever come up with this? 
if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. This means he's going to come back to life. He will see his offspring. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By His knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many. Declare us righteous. Who are the many? His elect. The ones He chose before the foundation of the world. He will justify those. There are many. And He will bear their iniquities. He bore it on the cross. Therefore, I will lot Him a portion with the great, and He will divide the booty with the strong, because He poured out Himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet He Himself bore the sin of many, us, and interceded for the transgressors. Good news! Great news. It's everything there. Isaiah 53 is a great culmination of it all. If you didn't know any other Old Testament passages, that one's a jewel that stands out. It's like a diamond in the gold ring. Beautiful. But there's so many passages. Do you think Jesus hit on this one? I think He probably did. Psalm 16 David quoted from that there would be no decay of his body in the grave. That means he would be resurrected and come back to life. So, these are some of the passages that he probably was talking about to the Emmaus disciples. He opens these up to the disciples. And now all of a sudden, like that, they get a clear understanding. This is not about the kingdom now where we take the Romans. This is about sins being forgiven. Oh, I wish I knew that before. They got it. Only because the Lord decided to open their minds and hearts up to the Scripture, which they couldn't get before, which were very clear. You think they never read Isaiah 53? Oh yeah, that's a chief passage to the Jewish people in the synagogues. I want to touch a little bit on this opening the minds to understanding Scriptures. Here's the sovereign God. Here's our sovereign grace God, folks. This is how powerful it is because I'll tell you what, mankind, and that includes us, we all hated God. We were dead spiritually to Him, there was nothing about Him. And we would do the opposite of what God wants unless He came in and changed us to bring us to life. So here we go. Verse 45 is crucial. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. It indicates to us while there was an unbelief of which the disciples were guilty of. They were rebuked by Jesus. But I will tell you, there's a natural inability to understand the Scriptures. They partially understood. But here we have the fact that this natural inability has to be divinely removed. 
the blinders have to be taken off. Jesus removed a veil that they had and He enabled the disciples to understand for the first time these Old Testament Scriptures pertaining to the Messiah as related to His rejection by the people by the suffering, the death, burial, resurrection. And uh, you see, there has to be God that comes in and enlightens us to regenerate us. We know this, but it's great to go through the Scriptures. Uh, Go back to Luke 24-25 first before we go elsewhere. Here you have the Emmaus disciples, and He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, that's us, even today we are foolish sometimes, slow of heart, to believe in all that the Scriptures or the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning Himself in all the Scriptures. So, now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I love this passage. So do you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's pick it up at verse 7. For we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. God's mystery. It's mysterion. It's something that was not... It was concealed in the past. It was there, but people couldn't get it. And now has revealed. So it's a mysterion. It's something that where the mystery has been... Uh, revealed now, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. See, that's the problem of what's happening in the world and has happened for at least 6,000 years, a little bit like that. They don't understand it unless they are belong to God. For if they had understood, if they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but just as it is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, right out of the Old Testament here, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Wow. God reveals those things to us. The things of God. Now here we go. For to us, God revealed them. He took back the curtains through the Spirit For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. That's our idea here, is to get our message to the littlest one that's here, and that they can get one thing. That's great with me. You know what I mean? And you say, Paul, what you're talking about now is is going over over everybody's heads. We we need a 20-minute message, and what we need is something that is real easy to understand. If we did that... After about two or three weeks, I can guarantee you there are people in here that would say, "Hey, what's the matter? What are you doing?" You know, we we want even the oldest saints in Christ to grow here, because I've grown all week in studying stuff that I thought I already knew, and you 
There's depths here that we can't imagine. So even with the littlest one, they're getting they're getting the idea. First of all, is God God a sovereign? You know, if you ask any one of those little guys right there in the back row, basically, if you said, "Who controls all things?" and I got a feeling every one of you, Zach has already taught him this. <laughs> And that's it's what you guys not only did in you know in your teaching and in your class, but they're taught that all the time. They know that. It seems so basic, but for one thing, that's really what we're saying here. So there's one layer of it. Now, as you, as you look at uh, some of the the older ones, uh, they've been around for a while. You know, they get a little bit more of this. The depths of God. They want some deeper things, right? Spirit of God comes in and searches that out and gives us something that we never thought of. That's Spirit of God. That's supernatural, folks. It's the only way this thing can work. Do you want to get deeper into God's Word? Here it is. Anytime you get into any word, it's there. So, for who, verse 11, among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. How can any human being know the things of God? They can't. It's impossible. You see, He's already told us that we're dead spiritually. When did that happen? At the fall. Something died. Adam and Eve kept on living for a long time till they were 900 plus years, right? So it wasn't physically they died. They did die. And of course that's part of it, but something else died. That spiritual part. To understand God, the way that they were getting it, that died. And all man inherits that now. No one knows the thoughts of God. Now, we have received, Paul writes such deep theology, Even the youngest can understand this. We have received not the Spirit of the world, I don't want the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That's truth. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, goes way beyond that. But in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And here we go. This is the verse that I meant to read. (laughs) But that understood now makes us understand this. And now we can understand what is going on in the world. You say, you can't sum that all up in one little verse, can you? Yeah, sure. Here it is. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why do people murder and loot and destroy? Say the most terrible words against people. Why do people do that? Right here. So they're natural man. That is naturally mankind. Yeah, I can say, but this is the worst kind. Yeah, it's being exposed in a bigger way than it ever has been. In our lifetime, we're seeing it. We're seeing it all over TV and the internet and everything. But this is really where man is at. And if allowed, he will do even more worse things. Can't even imagine what they are. I don't even want to imagine what they are. 
How sinful can man be? We are depraved. We're totally depraved. That means all parts of us, but not we are not at the point of consuming all of sin, right? That, that The worst that it can be. But man can do a lot of sin. So, for they are foolishness to Him. See, the things of God are foolishness to God. Or, or, I mean, to, the, to mankind. The things of God. Does that make sense? I, I, uh, you know, I, I think that's easy to understand, isn't it? Only for those who have the Spirit of God. And He cannot understand them. Did you catch that? He cannot understand these things that we say that are so clear and easy to us for us to understand. Just basic things. Why can't they understand that? Absolutely. They make fun of us. Foolishness to the Gentiles. Stumbling block to the Jews. They're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Right out of the Old Testament. That he will instruct him? Look at this, folks. But we, believers, have the mind of Christ. That's astounding. This is why we get it and the world doesn't. They're lost. Simple as that. We can put this all in a nutshell. We can define all the other things and, and, and it does help, you know, and what Black Lives Matter really means, what they really believe. And of course, the first one I start with is they want to destroy the nuclear family. Use the word nuclear. It's talking about the typical family. We have mother and father and children. And you raise them up in the things of God, really. But they're against all that. Of course, they're for abortion. Anything that we believe in, they are against. But I would start with that nuclear family, if you like. That's enough to go on for a long time. Of course, it gets into LGBT and on and on and on. We, we did that on a Bible study one night. We could do those things, but really when it comes down to it, it finally comes back to this. By nature, they're sinners. And they'll go as far as they can to do things against God. Somebody might say, you shouldn't be talking about political groups like that. And you know what? I've lost people from attending church anymore because I, I said some things. But I tell you, they, I don't feel bad about saying, this is what they believe. I'm not talking behind their back and making up lies. Anybody can go on Google and look it up and find out what they believe. I did it. You got Anybody can do that if I do it. You know, here's what they believe. Okay, this is what I'm going to tell you. And it is against what God says. Now, why would anybody leave on that? Or I've spoken about um, Muslims. Muslims are not Christians. They're religious, but I will tell you that their way is going all the way to hell. They do not believe in Jesus Christ. In no way at all. Matter of fact, they're here to tear down and destroy themselves. That's really what Satan does. He's a murderer and he's a liar. From the beginning, that's the way he always is. Do, 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 do we want to just say, well, I don't want to offend anybody here, so I'm not going to say anything like that. 
Well, um, I will continue to do that because we all need to be either warned about it if they don't know or it's, it needs to strike a tune in us and saying, yeah, this is what's all around us. But what we hit them with is we don't have to start with, you're wrong in this and this and this and this. We present them to Jesus Christ. It's good to know some things about what they believe, but get to the heart of the matter if you can. The bad news, the good news. So, um, we go to Acts 16.14. We have the mind of Christ, folks. That's unbelievable. We have the mind of Christ. Only because He gave it to us, not because we asked for it. He gave it to us. Acts 16.14. It's all supernatural. That's what we're saying, isn't it? 16.14. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. She was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. But she worshipped the God of the Jews. Was listening as Paul had spoke. And the Lord did what? Opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. What did he say? The things that Jesus said. (laughs) Repent. Forgiveness of sins. Look in 1 John 5.20. It's kind of a different one to turn to. 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come. How do we know? Because we have the mind of Christ that was given to us so that we can understand His Word. When He says that Son of God has come. And has given us understanding. He gave to us understanding. He chooses who He's going to give as understanding so that we may, what? Know Him who is true. Let every man be a liar, but God be true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. What is eternal life? That we may know Him. John 17, Jesus says that prayer intercedes for us that we would know Him. He opens the minds to understanding the things of God. The veil is taken off. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh my, I about forgot this. 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. It's chapter 3. you got to love this. 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, or the law, right, to the Jews, a veil lies over their heart. They read it, they preach it, but they don't understand it. Well, how can that be? It happens all over the land here in America and all over the world. There are people who read the Bible but they don't understand who Christ is. They really don't understand. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, and that's dealing with repentance, dealing with the metanoia, not only changing your mind, but changing your whole thinking, your whole way of life, turning from idols to God, says that in Thessalonians, the veil is taken away. Just like in the temple, the veil was split from top to bottom. 
saying that the way had been made into the very Holy of Holies. So did you get that? Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He takes that veil. There's an additional veil in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Verse 3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world, who's that? Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's a mouthful. And we've done this verse before and it took a whole week at least to get that verse so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the good news of the glory of Christ. Does that say a lot there? They were blinded. So they're blinded by their own natural sin. They're blinded by the world. They're blinded by Satan. The God of this world. So it has to be God that comes in and rips off the blinders, takes away the veil. So there's a connection between the Scriptures and the fulfillment. There's the Scriptures, and now it's fulfilled, Jesus says. And I can see right now, we're probably not going to get through our whole text today. You know that? He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now we get to number two. And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer Rise again from the dead the third day. Scriptures were written about Christ. It's the Gospel. Some say there is no event or fact of ancient history in existence that is better attested to than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what? I agree. The degree of prophecy beforehand even if you didn't have the Gospels that we are privileged to see there's a saving message in the Old Testament and it's before it happened no other religion has a book like this with prophecy they have prophecies but they're veiled you can't even understand there's nothing there that and matter of fact most of the time the prophecies you find out never even came true and they make it try to happen. It's the best, biggest event ever in the history of mankind. And it is attested to by the Old Testament all the way through there. And then in the Gospels, in Acts, then you get into the depth and the theology of it and Paul's writings from Romans here on out. I will, uh, I will announce now I'm thinking about doing the book of Romans once we finish the book of Luke. I would go into Acts, but we've done that kind of recently. So does Romans sound pretty good to you guys? It's good news. First few chapters are a little bit of bad news. Well, the Scriptures are written about Christ and the Gospel and of course suffering. 
We get our Isaiah 53, of course. We read that already. Psalm 22. Read that many weeks. 1 Corinthians 15.3. We've talked about that, about the Gospel. That He, uh, according to the Scriptures, that He died for our sins. Rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Rise again from the dead. We read Isaiah 53. Um, Abraham saw the day of Christ. And he realized it. You remember he had a son, Isaac, who God told him to prepare to sacrifice. And Abraham was ready to do it. At that right there. And then God said through the angel, stop. It's a picture though that he was willing to do that because he believed God so much. He believed God and it was counted him as righteous. And what did he believe? That Isaac would come back to life. He believed in a resurrection. Genesis 22. Job talked about resurrection. We see it much in, through the prophets. So the law, the prophets, the Psalms. Scriptures are written about Christ. The whole Bible is really about Christ. That's it. It's about Christ. Maybe one more verse. Verse 47. So he did it, suffered, rose from the dead the third day. Verse 47, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Yay! Yeah! That's us! (laughs) This is where we come in. Jerusalem. Okay. That's where they're at. What is to be preached? What are people saved from? Well, actually, you aren't saved from God. Always like what R.C. Sproul said. And that'll really get people. What? What are you talking about? No, we're saved from our sins. Yeah, but we're saved from the wrath of God. I mean, how else do we get justified? God was angry at sin. And He became angry at sin and unleashed it on His Son. And where did the Father go? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said. That's Psalm 22, right? Saved from God. Otherwise, if He didn't do that, we'd all be on our way to hell. We'd be out in the streets killing people and doing all that kind of stuff. Creating havoc. We're saved from our sins. And the punishment of those sins, that is everlasting in hell. That's not a common message to be given in our churches today. Matter of fact, they will tell you don't talk about that. Because that will make people walk out and leave and never come back. Yeah, it does. I know. I've seen it happen here. This is our only message. We can't change it. Well, can't we milk toast it a little bit? That's what the church has done here today. Uh, judgment starts at the household of God. You know what? A lot of those churches have shut down their churches. They did it back in March. They haven't reopened yet. Hmm. Well, it's because that is a politically correct thing to do. 
whether they are under the state's orders or not. And many of them are under those democratic governors and tell them that they can't worship. Well, you see, a lot of churches who are biblical say, oh, we see what's going on. We have the way to be able to discern these things. Why? Because we have a biblical view of it. After We obey God rather than men. We obeyed the suggestions at first for a few weeks. And when we came back, that, that first two weeks was incredible. Uh, it was filled in here. And you know, I'm thinking, oh, we're supposed to do a six-foot thing, but I'll tell you what, I'm not saying anything. That was That's right. We're going to worship God because we see what's going on. We we know it. We really do. And if you don't know it and you wonder why I'm talking about this and it offends you, please talk to me afterwards or talk to anybody here. We'd be we'd be glad to tell you because it sounds like we're striking against people. Well, church has got to wake up. And I'll tell you what, probably a lot of those churches that haven't uh, gotten together probably never will. Because it's not going to get any better. It could for a little bit. But I can tell you that they'll never get back together. I already know quite a few of them that that won't. Uh, They're going to go along with the state. And they're going to obey men rather than God. And they're not worshiping. The thing is, you know what? That's good. Because they really shouldn't probably be in church anyway. Because they're probably not preaching the Word of God. So be it. I think you're going to see the true church stand up in the days to come. And I'm dependent on you guys to help hold me up. I say that not in a a bold way. Boy, let's take them on and everything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I need to be prayed for because I'm weak. And I know I could very well... you know. Go that way. I don't think so. I don't really believe that. But, you know, you never know what can happen when it really comes to you. And then what are we going to do? We need wisdom. What about the... Well, I don't have enough time. Let's move on. We don't have a social message, folks. We really don't have a social message. We don't really have an economic message. We don't have an educational message. We have one message. It's how they can be forgiven of their sins. That's the question. That's it. That is what is laid out from the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke and throughout the whole Bible. And it's done with repentance in Luke 3.3. 3. And we'll go through this very quickly and we're going to have to cut today and lay, save some good stuff for next week. He came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus did. What did John the Baptist do? He preached repentance, forgiveness of sins. Here's Jesus preaching the kingdom. Repentance, forgiveness. Acts 2.38 Here's the early church. Here's the first sermon by Peter after the Holy Spirit had come into his life in a way that and and did to all the believers there. Now he's preaching to all sorts of people, numbers of people around the temple there at uh, Pentecost. They're all there, a huge crowd. Peter said to them, Repent! 
after he gave a clear message with the Psalms, the prophets, and the law. And he says, and they said, what must we do? What can we do? We, we killed him. We, we were shouting out, crucify him. We were, we were, I was the one doing that. He said, repent. And each of you be baptized, immersed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There we go. There we go. That's the message. That's what John the Baptist did. That's what Jesus did. That's what Peter does. John does. All the apostles. Look in chapter 5, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging Him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant, get that, grant repentance. That means it's a gift. It was given to us. You'd say, I can work up repentance on my own. I can repent. No, you can't. It has to be granted to you to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We're witnesses of these things, right? And we go to chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. He gifted it to them. He gave it to them. He granted to them. Did they work for it? No. Did they walk an aisle to get repentance? No, He granted it, it to them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That and and that's Ephesians chapter two, where it says this: uh, we're gifted, uh, we're graced, and then you have the works. In verse ten, well, repentance for forgiveness of sins. Acts 13, 28 and 29, here's what uh, it's preached. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Then he appeared and. as for the fact he raised him up from the dead, no longer to decay, and that's that's that same message that this is uh, Paul, I do believe here, Paul and uh, uh, Barnabas at this time, and they preach basically what the message was that Peter preached very close to that, and then he appeals to them.